The Incomparable Podcast, number 79, February 2012. Welcome one and all to the selection meeting for the Incomparable Film Festival, also known as the Incomparable Favorite Movies Draft. The premise here is simple. We are going to invent an imaginary film festival featuring great movies that don't have to be geeky, although many of them will be given who is here. Um, Each day of our imaginary film festival will be hosted by one of the members of the Incomparable panel, and for that day they will be there to introduce all five of the movies they select and explain why they selected them. Uh, We don't want to have duplication in our film festival, so once somebody takes a movie during this selection meeting, it will be taken off the board and unavailable for everyone else, which adds a little competition to the proceedings. I am your host and the host of the Incomparable Imaginary Film Festival, Jason Snell. Uh, And joining me today are so many members of the Incomparable panel. I'm going to introduce them all in the order of the random draft selection that is going to determine how they pick in the five rounds of our draft. Our first pick, the coveted first pick, will go to Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Thanks Thanks for having me. The random number generator picked you. I love randomness. Yes, randomness working in your favor. Entropy favors me. Yes, yes. You you also speak randomness sometimes, so that fits. 42. Uh, Actually, your number was 26, but it was good enough. Picking second will be (laughs) Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. I am happy to be the Commander Riker to Glenn's Captain Picard. Excellent. Holding down the Commander Data spot, then, would be Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. In a time... Before the TV movie draft, <laughs> one panelist said hello. You are that panelist? That was me. All right. Excellent. Uh, fourth pick on our movie draft will be John Syracuse. Hi, John. I really hope I'm not muted right now. You're not. You're not. <laughs> we, we hear you now. <laughs> this is going to be a, an, an exciting podcast. It is. I can hear the excitement in your voice, too. It's making me excited. With the fifth pick in the in the draft will be Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Wait, is this like the Jordy LaForge spot? Because that'd be pretty awesome. I would take that. I've run out of yes, yes. I'm sure that is the Jordy LaForge spot. Right in the middle. I'm right in the middle, just where I want to be. With the sixth pick in the draft, the Deanna Troy spot. Sorry, it's (laughs) Serenity Caldwell. I don't know how I feel about that. You could be Doctor Crusher. She could be Will Wheaton. Yeah, I, I I struggle between young Will Wheaton and... Wow. Well, don't forget Worf. Worf's got to be in there somewhere. There is no honor in picking last. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hello. Hello. And as, um, as the host, I will go last because it is my lot to clean up after everybody else. Oh, my. So oh I, will my. Pick, I will pick last. Um, so anyway, the idea is we're creating a virtual film festival. I've asked everybody to pick... Uh, to, Make a list of their favorite films. It has to be more than five because some of their films will probably be sniped by their uh, their favorite or or their fellow panelists. Now, I have uh, one brief rule before we begin, which is um, I want to clarify something that came up earlier. What makes a movie? I've decided I will make all all judgments are me. The question the question came up. What 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 comprises a movie? Would Star Wars be considered one movie? And the answer is no. Would the Harry Potter movies be one movie? No, that would be cheating, and I won't allow it. Would Lord of the Rings be considered one movie? I'm going to say yes. If, if if it's a movie that really is one story, it's adapted from a single thing, it's got the same cast, and it, and it really is sort of shot together, we'll call that one movie. 
Um, but Back Siri, to the Future. Back to the Future doesn't count because it was a single. The first one uh, is a single. Two movie. and three were shot. Two back and three back. were shot back. Yeah. To back well, if you want to pick Back to the Future two and three, <laughs> you God, may. I, I may all. allow. You'll Somehow. have to. We'll ask for a judge's ruling. Um, also, before we get started, I'm going to throw out some names of um, of movies that our listeners suggested would be their pick. So some some just a little foreshadowing of movies that we may mention and others that we won't. Listener Lori said, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Lord of the Rings, The Princess Bride. Not big surprises there. And The Dish, an Australian movie, I believe. Listener Dan said, Blade Runner, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Shining, Empire Strikes Back, and The Princess Bride. Hmm, those might go in the first round. Uh, Let's see what else. Uh, Listener David, Wonder Boys, Out of Sight, Beckett, The Wrath of Khan. (laughs) That's, That's a little contrast. And The Thin Man. Interesting. Uh, Blade Runner, uh, Alien, the Buddy Holly story. Those are from Irving. Dennis said, real genius, real genius, real genius, real genius, and real genius. Sorry, Irving. Uh, or Sorry, Dennis, you can't pick um, a movie more than once. Sycophant. Yeah, he's really, really <laughs> sucking up. Uh, Wally, The Dark Knight, Jaws came from listener John, who is not John Syracuse. Lots of Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Miss Caldwell will be happy to know somebody suggested Serenity. Huh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so so she seems pleased as punch. It's time, it's time now for the uh, for us to fill out the slots for our imaginary film festival that we're going to not do because it's not real. Um, if somebody who's re- who wants to run a film festival would like to con- contact us, <laughs> you're use, crazy. Use this material. I, I suggest that you listen to the rest of this podcast and then rethink things. Hey, so, we already invoked Robert Redford's foot. He might give us a call. It's possible. You never know. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so, with the first pick in the incomparable film draft, I am going to turn it over to Glenn Fleischman to make his pick and explain a little bit about why. Why? Well, why, Glenn? Dear God, why? My favorite movie of all time, my first pick, Wings of Desire, uh, filmed by Vim Vendors. Vim Vendors has made a lot of different kinds of uh, films, all of a certain type. So they're all different kinds, all the same type. And, uh, and people have a lot of strong feelings about him because sometimes his films do not hang together that well and they seem like a lot of nonsense. I've heard that quite a bit. And I'm not a big fan of a lot of his other films. And um, Wings of Desire, so should I explain the plot in brief? Yes. That's a good idea. Well, so Wings of Desire, it's about angels in Berlin. And it sounds incredibly trite, of course, because, you know, it's angels. Angels are trite. But it's presented in the most, uh, it's the most beautifully shot thing. It's the most sensitive thing. There are times when there's so little dialogue. Um, and it the the Conceit is that there are two angels that are one of them played, of course, by the superb Bruno Gantz, who I just adore, and uh, and the other's Otto Sander, much much uh, worse known in this country than in Germany. And uh, the two of them are angels, and they are talking to each other, and they're angels all over, and people can't see them, but the angels can provide some influence to people's lives. But it's presented in like the gentlest way, that encouragement, um, confusion. They're there to sort of witness and observe, and not really get completely involved. Um, Peter Falk is in it in a bizarre <laughs> little role in which he seems to be able to see and talk to the angels a bit, sort of confusing. And um, it's kind of a love story, too, as the angel falls in love with a human, this uh, circus performer, trapeze artist, played by Solveig Domartan, who is a, an ethereally beautiful woman. And um, it's, I don't know, there's something about the movie. It's so quiet and gentle and beautiful and um, 
it's just I think I saw it I saw it when I was young when it, after it came out and was sort of struck dumb by it. I've seen it many times since and uh you know you have to buy into the conceit and I think some people might find it very very trite but um they just they follow different people it's very um it's almost picaresque in its way is that the stories interlock and you see this old man who is a poet and you hear him the angels can hear people's thoughts and you hear him reciting his poem Alstas Kind Kind Var through the whole thing and he's talking about childhood and nature and it's just a uh, lovely film. Lovely so, film. So everybody who had the the uh, first pick in our draft would be a <laughs> in German. You win the you win the prize. Uh, if this movie sounds familiar, we should say that this was remade by Hollywood as City of Angels. City of Angels. I was going to make yeah. a snarky comment about how I liked it better when they remade it with Nicolas Cage, and, and I and looked it up Ryan. and found that they, and that's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the many thousands of films Nicolas Cage has been in, and uh, <laughs> this this year. This year. So, yeah, City of Angels. Now, it's interesting. There's also a sequel. Vim Vendors made a sequel to Wings of Desire. Now, come on. Now, it is in German, but you don't. it's got subtitles. Yeah. There's not a lot of dialogue that's necessary to understand the movie. Um, the sequel, however. Far Away it, which So is, Close. Which is far also away so a close. U2 song. Yeah. Uh, so, far, far Away So Close is just a terrible terrible film it, it's um it's unbelievable that it has anything to do with the original it's incredibly trite there's some weird plot with like mafia and things being blown up and children kidnapped and people falling out of buildings and um it's got you know a great uh some great guest shot again peter falk playing a more significant role in it so hard to believe it has anything to do with this and city of angels uh, has some good parts to it i like little bits of it but um it's nicholas cage so but you got to go back to the original which is wings of desire wings of desire all right I think that's good. That that is as crazy as it sounds. That is a that is a beloved movie. So that's excellent. Good pick. Kind of out of left field. It sounds terrible when you when you describe the plot. It sounds terrible. It's funny. Yeah, but it's but not. when you hear it in German, it's beautiful. It is. Kind, kind. They have a Everything word for sounds it. beautiful in German. The uh, language of love. It is. Scott McNulty, you're up for my first pick. I am going to pick Star Trek Two. Oh, uh, con. Exactly. I uh, oh, it may not be my favorite movie. My it is my favorite Star Trek movie, and I knew it might go, so I had to pick it as soon as possible. Because uh, I would pick it otherwise. So exactly, I, I I pondered picking Real Genius, but I thought that would be mean since I don't actually like Real Genius. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then you'd have to stand up on your day of our film festival and introduce it, which would be terrible. It would be terrible because I'd be like, I saw half of it once, and there's some popcorn in it. <laughs> People would throw tomatoes at you if you did that. So Star Trek Two. It's true, but Star Trek Two. Back to to my actual choice. Star Trek Two is uh, possibly the best Star Trek film ever made. There are many of them. Uh, for those unfamiliar with the plot, do I need to summarize the plot? I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's called the Wrath of Khan because uh, a favorite villain, played by Ricardo Montalban uh, from the original series is called back into action in uh, this uh, cinematic masterpiece in which it starts with Chekhov on the U.S. Well, actually, it doesn't. It starts with uh, one of the many... Uh, there are so many good things about this movie. One of the many things about this movie... It cursed the alley at the beginning, right? It cursed the alley in it. It's true. One of the good things. And uh, so when Star Trek Two came out, there was a rumor that Spock would die in it. And spoiler alert, he does. Yes. But... <sighs> what have you done? The film producers thought it would they didn't want everyone to be waiting the entire movie for Spock to die. So they created the first scene in the movie, uh, which takes place in a simulator, and Christy Alley's character is going through this this test that all Starfleet uh officers have to go through when they're in the academy, 
Uh, it is a scenario called the Kobayashi Maru, where you are the captain of a simulated Starfleet uh, starship, and you are faced with an unwinnable task of rescuing people off of this trader ship that is deep in the neutral zone. And there are Klingons coming, and you know you can't win. That's the whole point of it. And so you don't know this as you're watching it for the first time. And if you've never seen it, I have completely ruined the drama, the drama for you. <laughs> um, but so there's a bunch of simulated things, and Spock dies in the simulation, as does everyone else. And then you think, oh my god, Spock's dead. Um, and then you, you find out Cap- Captain Kirk comes in and he's like, hey, look, it's a simulation. Nobody's dead. <laughs> I'm Psych. summarizing. Exactly. And then uh, <laughs> just like and- that, Kirk. It's true. And this Kobayashi Maru enters Star Trek lore because uh, Kirk is the only person who's ever defeated the Kobayashi Maru. And he did it by, of course, cheating. Uh, That is one of the men. I could just go on and on. Ricardo Montalban as Khan is a fantastic villain. Exactly. Uh, And you do another trivia fact uh, William Shatner, Ricardo Montalban, though they are leads in the movie and they play opposite each other, they never actually met during the filming. They never have a scene together. And yet. The relationship between the two, you can feel the hate. Well, they have between seen the two they have characters. scenes together, but they're on view screens and things, so they're right. actually never physically present together. Never physically present. That is true. Through the magic of twenty uh, third century, whatever century that is. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> technology. Uh, but technology. There you go. Uh, so that that in fact, my favorite movie. And uh, when I found out that the they released these Star Trek movies on Blu Ray. Uh, and so I bought the Blu-ray collection, and I realized I did not have a Blu-ray player. So then I bought a Blu-ray player so that I could watch Star Trek Two. <laughs> That's I have that Blu-ray too. That's a great pick. That was on my list. That was high on my list, Scott. I win. You win. The random number it's... generator gives that gives that movie to you. And one of my favorite quotes is uh, Chekhov goes and he finds the, the Botany Bay and he meets Khan and he's like, this, uh, we, we left you on SETI Alpha 5. And then he says, this is SETI Alpha 5. It's very dramatic. Anyway, I'm done. Yes, his Chekhov also says, does it have to be completely lifeless? <laughs> he says lifelessly. Um, Steve, you can't pick Star Trek 2 or Wings of Desire, but otherwise the board is open of all film history and, and you can choose anything else. So what what do you choose, Steve? So uh, I suspect I'm fortunate in that, based on past podcasts, I doubt that my list intersects too much with the others on this podcast. <laughs> You're picking the He-Man movie, aren't you? Yeah. Well, what is the movie called? Yes, one Skeletor? through five. He-Man, He-Man, He-Man. Yeah, uh, He-Man Masters of the Universe. Super Mario. Is that Brothers a movie, Jason? And He-Man. Yeah. There was a movie, Masters of the Universe. Indeed, there was. There was. Action Grin and Skeletor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we, the, we the may one... put Steve's day of the film festival on like on like the Monday after everybody else's film. It's the, hang, it's the yeah, hangover. There'll be a side stage in, in a broom closet somewhere yeah. with two or three folding chairs. Right, the B track uh, on Thursday. Right. You can That's go to right. the B theater and see Steve's. <laughs> but there are a couple on my list that I thought perhaps somebody else might have picked. So I'm gonna. This is not my favorite strategy, film, but it is good. Yes, I love the That's draft right. strategy. Yes, you know I'm all about strategy, man. I know you want to win. So my first pick is uh, Ridley Scott's 1979 horror sci-fi hybrid Alien, uh, um, which is a terrific film for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the the basic plot is uh, there's a crew of um, what are basically glorified tow truck drivers um, pulling a whole bunch of ore uh, in a gigantic uh, spaceship, and uh, they're 
on their way back to Earth from whatever mission they were on, and uh, they're woken up early from their cryosleep and told to go investigate a distress signal coming from some remote planet. Uh, and it turns out not to have been a distress signal, but a warning. And uh, they run across an alien life form that proceeds to then dispatch them in a variety of entertaining and bloody ways. Um, but it's a great film for a lot of reasons. It's it's you get your groundbreaking sci-fi for groundbreaking for the time. I and mean, this was 1979, just two years after Star Wars. Um, and his take on life in the, in the vacuum of space couldn't be more different. In fact, I think. Um, well, what's similar about it is they're both they're both kind of scuff, scuffed up and dirty and and messy, right? Well, I, I would say that the Star Wars isn't anywhere near as scuffed up and dirty <laughs> well, as, uh, as as Alien. In fact, um, you know, this is just in general. But there are much, fuzzy dice much, on the Millennium Falcon uh, steering wheel, and there's uh, totally one the of those same. little drinking uh, roosters on the table in Alien too. So you know, maybe there's the the intersection. Um, but it's, you know, it's just kind of a much darker take oh, yeah. on, uh, on space than, you know, for obvious reasons, because this is basically a horror movie with sci-fi elements. Um, you know, the, the corridors are ugly and industrial and, and not terribly clean. You don't get a whole lot of the sort of bright and shiny, uh, you know, Princess Leia's ship kind of corridors. And instead of princesses and, um, you know, vaguely girly dudes with light up swords, um, uh, <laughs> We have basically a handful of of pissed off blue collar schlubs who are who spend most of their time bickering about bonus pay, and uh, I think part of the reason that I, I've never been all that enamored of Star Wars with the, this this felt to me in 1979 more like what space was really all about. You know, not it, it's not happy swashbuckling fun time, but more drifting through great expanses of nothing in a cramped tin can. Occasionally being set upon by some uh, insectoid killing machine, um, but at any rate, Good times. The, uh, at, yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's fun for the whole family. Uh, and in fact, I did see this when I was eight. So you know, wow. But at any rate, um, yeah. At the time, the uh, the scene everybody was talking about, and and the takeaway from the movie was the the classic spoiler horn chest burster scene. Um, but that alone obviously wouldn't have granted it the staying power that that it's enjoyed. Um, there's there's a lot to love about the movie. There's a great casting of a bunch of really relative unknowns with uh, you know Sigourney Weaver in her first role, I believe. Uh, Tom Skerritt, Yafet Kato, Harry Dean Stanton, um, and uh, and Ian Holm is just fabulous in this film. He's unbelievably good as the uh, the hidden android Ash. Um, you got a terrific script from Dan O'Bannon which does a great job of fleshing out the characters so that, uh, you know, by the time that the first hour where really not a whole heck of a lot happens, uh, by the time that hour is done, we, we really don't want to see everybody die horribly, but then they do. Um, there's a very cool Jerry Goldsmith score that kind of alternates between this, uh, very pretty sort of space, you know, flying through space music and then just very tense menace. And then of course the, uh, the great design by, uh, HR is it Geiger? I don't know. I've HR never known Geiger. how to pronounce that. <clears throat> Geiger, Geiger. It's Geiger. Geiger. I've been to his. Uh, I've been to his museum. It's in uh, Gruyere in Switzerland, the same All place right. they make the cheese. Must be delicious. Mm. But his his designs of the derelict spaceship and the alien are just fantastic, and the the fact that they realized them in the way that they did is pretty 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 impressive, especially for 1979. 
So, um, and of course, Ridley Scott's direction is very, very good too. Really kind of ramps up the tension in a nice slow burn. Uh, so, uh, yeah. All right. A lot to love about Alien and uh, thought there's a chance that maybe somebody else would pick it. So there it is. It's off the board. Anybody have Alien on their list? Oh. Nope. Damn it. Damn it. My strategy never waste, works. It's a wasted pick. It never no, works. It's a good pick. That's a great pick. I thought about Alien But I'm free aliens. to pick Masters of the Universe now. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you better do it fast. Better do it fast. But first, John Syracuse, Wings of Desire, Star Trek II, Alien are off the board. I know you had those. So uh, you're going to have to just go to your backup picks now. Uh, so sorry, the rest of the crew here, but, uh, draft strategy prevails and I must pick, even though this is not my number one all-time favorite movie. Uh, and in fact, all of these movies that I've selected are not in any particular order because I have a real hard time nailing down like number one, number two. It's just kind of a soup near the top. Uh, but this is definitely in the soup. Hence and the I, clarifying power of the draft format where you're, you're, yes. you've got some other strategy involved. And I am compelled to pick the empire strikes back i hate you forever uh, yeah. <laughs> no that's impossible do not want now, see i don't feel that bad about picking it because i thought you know look we all know that dan loves this movie and it's his all-time favorite movie or whatever and, and ren loves the movie as well but we had a three-hour two-part podcast about the empire strikes back so really it's not as if they they have something inside them they need to get out about empire strikes back that's somehow now going to be bottled up because i get to talk about it and they don't you know i always have something about the empire strikes back bottled up <laughs> inside me three John. more hours easy yeah i think we proved that <laughs> i sat on a darth figure darth vader figure when i was a kid so i do too <laughs> <laughs> well i i mean i actually have trouble thinking of anything in particular that i wanted to add to the three hours of stuff that we said if we were to discuss it again uh as an ensemble, I'm sure we could continue to talk about it, but really just, you know, wrapping it up. Um, I, I guess the, the larger comment I have on Empire is that the reason I think it is so high in all of our lists uh, has a lot to do with the place Star Wars has in our life. Uh, you know, and not just this one particular movie, but all, all three movies together. And, you know, the age we are when they came out or it, it, there's a lot of uh, emotional attachment to the idea of Star Wars. And as all thinking people agree, this is the best Star Wars movie. And likewise, Star Wars is the best space-faring science fiction action-adventure franchise in all of mm -hmm. humanity. So therefore, this must clearly be the top of the very top. And really, when I think about the Star Wars movies, I see Empire poking its head up above kind of the sea of uh, not disposable entertainment, but just like entertainment for entertainment's sake and occasionally it pokes its head up through into that other part of the other movies that i have on my list here of like the the serious dramatic film and yes is that you know it's not a serious dramatic film it's got people with laser swords and spaceships and wookies and all that stuff but it has all the elements that a plain up regular oscar nominated best picture period piece you know uh, uh romance whatever all the all these serious genres of uh, movies that get taken seriously and in, in, uh, by critics and, and by the awards things. The empire has all those pieces it has great script, great acting, great dialogue. It's got suspense. It's got, uh, it's got good action. It's got, uh, dramatic turns of events. You know I mean? If you think about the dramatic things that happen, in the empire strikes back, you could put you know, the, the whole thing. I am your father. You could put that in, in, uh, in a, some sort of historical drama and it would fit fine too. It just so happens that it was right after a lightsaber fight. Uh, and the whole the Yoda business, you see a lot of that with the you see the, the the schlocky version of that in the movies where someone's training under some 
Karate Master or whatever, but you see that same phenomenon in other movies like The Sting or whatever, where, uh, not The Sting, uh, The Color of Money, sorry, getting my uh, Paul Newman stuff mixed up, where you have a young person uh, training under a, an old master. All those elements are there, and I think serious film people don't see them as much because it's got Wookiees and C-3PO and R2-D2 and stuff like that, but I think this movie clearly is head and shoulders above all the other Star Wars movies. Uh, so that's Somewhere Greg Noss is rubbing his temples, having yeah. sensed a great disturbance. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He he threatened us on Twitter and said, whoever picks Empire before Star Wars, there." Notice no one was clamoring to pick Star Wars, by the way. No. Before Empire came along. They were too busy picking their, you know, Vulcan movies. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Empire Strikes Back just really has is way ahead of the crowd, other than the two other sci-fi movies picked in front of it, Ooh. including one from Star Trek. So, there. Yeah. Hmm? Star Trek wins. Yeah, again. Is there anyone, by the way, is there anyone here who seriously thinks that, that The Wrath of Khan is a better movie than The Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, me. I, I do. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. People are uh, crazy. Uh, <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back, I like. Fight. I, but the, the whole Dagobah section is incredibly boring. The heart, of, the heart of the movie, you mean? I part? think it is so boring. I, 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 you know, it's just not good. It's good. It's good that Scott will have Star Trek Two for his day. And that John will have the Empire Strikes Back for his day, and 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 they'll be banned from each other's days and cannot heckle from the back. That's row. right. I'm just saying, if you compare, you know, Yoda the puppet to you know Walter Koenig's Russian accent, one of those two is clearly more real than the other. <laughs> yes, Yoda is a real puppet. Don't forget about Ricardo Montalban's chest plate. I think there will be less bloody rioting if oh. we separate those days by a couple of days. Yoda never says Wessel. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that Yoda hasn't been replaced with a CGI Yoda yet. Yeah, the CGI checkoff, though. Don't touch my films. (laughs) All right. um, Moving on, then. Thank you, John, for getting that out there. And uh, and that leaves Dan Morin heartbroken, because I'm sure that's what he was going to pick. I, yeah, so now you will turn around and pick something right. that I would that, that Ren and I would of want course, to pick. Yes. Of course I will. Thank and you, you can probably guess what it is. I, I actually typed it for John, and now I have to type it for you instead. I'll just paste it into my little list from my clipboard, because it's going to be... Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Indeed, it is oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yes. I have to play the draft game. I gotta play gotta, the draft yeah. game. I'm like John here. Wasn't gonna Again, make like it. as with John, it's probably not my top pick, but it's definitely in the top five. And again, as with Empire, we spent pick. an entire extremely <laughs> lengthy podcast discussing all the wonderful things yes. about Raiders. And and well and and again, it's very similar to Empire in many ways, and not just because, you know, there is some involvement of what we like to call George Lucas's good period. Um, but also, you know, it's a part of a franchise and it's definitely head and shoulders above the other films in that franchise, though there are very excellent redeeming moments to Temple of Doom mm. and Last Crusade, yes. which also, you know, is something I consider picking. But, if, you know, Raiders obviously trumps Last Crusade even. Um, and so I think we've discussed at length what makes this this film good. And, and part of it for me is just that as a vision, it's totally consistent. It's it's. The tone is even throughout for me. It looks perfectly seamless. There's very little that I look at and say like, yeah, that looks fake or I don't buy that or something like that. There's there's just a, a sort of unity of vision um, in this movie that I really appreciate. You never you never sort of pop out of the film and, and, and think, oh, I'm watching a film. You're just you're utterly engrossed. And it's it's as such one of the finest pieces of entertainment crafted on film. A friend of mine just watched this movie uh, with her kids. First time her kids had seen it. And um, and what what she was commenting on, which I really agree with, is it doesn't feel 
dated in a way that no. a lot of movies from the early 80s feel dated because right. it is in this it's, classic it's, style. It's a period. It's a period film too, exactly. right? And it's it's set in the it's set in the 30s. Um, and so as such, it, it, it harkens much more back to the serials of the 30s, which, of course, was this, the, the thing that Lucas and Spielberg were shooting for much as with Star Wars. Um, it's funny. I, did, I came to this movie kind of late. I actually saw Last Crusade first and I saw Raiders. I don't think I saw Raiders until I was in high school. Um, and yet, you know, it quickly became one of my favorites. And so I think there is it's hard to pin down exactly what makes it so indelible in that way, other than, you know, obviously everything technical about it is superb from the score to the you know cinematography. Um, there's a great, you know, a great hero. I don't know. And, and for me, a, a lot of what comes down to a great movie for me is not just whether I sort of remember it and think about it when I walk out of the the film, but um, I, I'm such a sucker for great dialogue and quotable lines, and that's one thing Raiders really has in Spades is just it's just full of great lines. And the other day, actually, I was showing uh, Jason a uh, as part of a one minute film conference contest for uh, Empire Magazine. Um, someone submitted Raiders of the Lost Ark done in the style of Hergé, the Belgian. Uh, artist who, did, who drew Tintin and it's a brilliant little one minute piece of animation that somehow manages to do a wonderful job summing up the entire movie in just 60 seconds and yet it's still harken it still reminds you of everything that you love about that movie so <laughs> uh, son of a <laughs> <laughs> yep and then I said you could warn them if only you spoke Cavitos <laughs> great great well Dan this was number one on my list so uh good job you sniped it away from me and as i expected I'm check it off on my list even as i had check. to cross out empire strikes back all right you've got raiders of the lost ark maybe you can get spielberg to come and talk at your little day of your little film festival he's not really doing anything right i mean he made three he made three indiana jones movies and then retired and that's, then retired. that's pretty much it it's he's documenting the holocaust yes, that's important that's, work yeah. thank it's true. you it's true he's documenting the holocaust and <laughs> making movies where the nazis yeah. are cartoon villains it's a strange yep. life for steven spielberg all right serenity caldwell you're up no empire no raiders go no ahead empire no raiders surprisingly i actually did not put those on my draft <gasps> list you just knew they were gonna go well because i was pretty much convinced that if dan didn't get empire john would and then once i saw the draft order i was sure that john was going to get empire and that left dan with raiders which meant that if i wanted to nominate anything i'd have to nominate one of the other star wars movies or one of the other indiana jones movies and neither of those neither of the other ones really fit my top 10 you guys are so predictable eat it greg i know yeah it's embarrassing eat it, eat it greg dual eatage all the eatage uh so instead <laughs> i kind of um i went with the other movie that i watched incessantly as a child which is Joe Johnston's The Rocketeer. <gasps> Yay. Yeah, which I which I love dearly. It is it is the movie that when I am sick or when I am just feeling down that I just put on in the background and I've I've watched it in whole and in parts more times than I can count. It's such it's beautiful because it's again, it's a period piece done in the style of 30 yeah. serials. It's fun. It has zeppelins, which I know Yay. appeals to Jason. Also Jennifer Connelly, but Jennifer you know. Connelly. <laughs> yes, the the she boys slight, can enjoy she Jennifer Connelly. She appeals to me slightly more than Zeppelin's. I have to admit. <laughs> I'll enjoy classmate. Billy Campbell. Yes, in there's something the for everyone in this. Helmet. Zeppelin it's enthusiasts, true. Alan Alan Arkin enthusiasts. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not, Timothy Dalton enthusiasts. Oh yes, bad, bad German accent enthusiasts. <laughs> uh, 
So it's all there in the Rocketeers. And and even people who want their lost fixation can go back to the rock the Rocketeer and get a little bit of Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn, yeah. So I mean As Howard Hughes. Yes, with a mustache. As Howard Hughes with a mustache of all. <laughs> Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Anyway, it's a it's a great film. It was completely underrepresented when it first came out, which made me sad. But uh but it was that like it was one of those films that I just I had the VC or the VHS of and just wore the VHS down so much that I believe we ended up copying it to beta and then continued to watch it on beta. Um, it's and also it's in my hometown of Los Angeles, so there there are lots of real landmarks and lots of fake landmarks. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it is a movie near and dear to my heart, and I I'm having trouble talking about it because. It's it's just one of those things that's there, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it's always been there. I particularly like yeah. the destruction of the land part of the authentic Hollywood land signed. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice touch. I like I like the initial test run where they're sort of uh, gleefully, uh, hey, sure, it's a rocket tied to a guy. <laughs> Let's try it out. Oh, geez, I almost died, and now there goes the jetpack. It's it's a nice it's a nice moment of like they're not very bright, are they? And then they get what's coming to them. Yeah, I love the quote after that where they're like, yeah, we, we're going to need a lawyer. And it's like, no, we're going to need a helmet. <laughs> That's good stuff. The Rocketeer. Fantastic. Gopher. All right, it's my turn now. As the, uh, as the host, I have to go last in the first round. And then we will go wrap right back around to Glenn. So I'm not going to make two picks. I'm just going to make one. And looking at what's left after my board has been decimated by the picks earlier in this round... I am going to pick another movie we did an entire podcast about, the beloved Rob Reiner film, The Princess Bride. That is my selection. One of my favorite movies, one of the most quotable movies of all time, a delightful comedy that uh, that not only having a great cast and, and uh, it, it being so quotable, uh, sending up the entire fairy tale genre while at the same time also celebrating it. Um, I have I have more than one Rob Reiner movie on my list. I am shocked, mm. sh- shockingly, but um, at, toward the top, <laughs> yeah, North. Uh, yes, North is right uh. there. A few good men, North. Yeah, um, no, the the Princess Bride, a classic. I can't believe it's still there. Um, it was actually number two on my list of 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 uh, potential picks. So, you know, what can you say? Uh, uh, me not picking the Princess Bride would be inconceivable. Who would have thought Meathead would be such an influence in your life? Who knew Meathead? I know. All right, Princess Princess Bride. Anybody is this is this silence just shock and and people being appalled or? You know, Princess we're, Bride we're is on my list. Low. Okay, good. but it's lower down. All right, I'd say Princess See, I, Bride I, is in the top like ten fifteen. I pulled a I pulled a red on that. Didn't even put it down. Pulled I a red. We get snapped out. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, that's, we use that to mean making a tiny little mistake. No, that's that's doing good <laughs> strategy. So I gotta. The Excellent. second movie to feature Peter Falk. Yes, Peter Falk. Ever. It's not going to be a Columbo podcast, so just... Back the off the Columbo Film Festival. Also, I'm, I'm willing to wager, if anyone would like to take my bet, it will also be the last movie featuring Peter, <laughs> Peter Falk. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Does anything to do with it? Was there a Columbo movie? No, uh, I got a challenge. If only they, Peter they were Falk, made for TV movies. Well, there was that Star Trek movie with Peter Falk as a Klingon, so... All right. No. Uh, that ends the first round. We had Wings of Desire, Star Trek Two, Alien, The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Rocketeer, and The Princess Bride. What a nice Let's go to the scores. collection. That's right. Let's go to the scores. <laughs> In the lead with five points is Glenn Fleischman. He got the the Dumb. mysterious and rarely uh rarely used foreign language film bonus. Ooh. Everybody else tied with one. 
So, Glenn, <laughs> what is your second selection? All right. I pick uh, Blade Runner, which oh. I suspect is on many people's dun, list. Dun, dun, Ridley dun. Scott Ooh. gets a second film. Yeah. Film it's, I mean, I've seen, I think, every version of Blade Runner. and uh, No, I shouldn't say every version. There's the one that's the director's cut that I think Ridley Scott toured with that had some stuff restored before they did the full director's cut. And um, so I've seen several. I think I've seen at least three or four different versions of this movie. And uh, the last one I saw was the fully restored cut. It was shown at the Cinerama, the restored Cinerama Theater in Seattle. Um, and it's just, it's a, it was a good movie with the voiceover. It wasn't great. There were lots of flaws, lots of difficulties. As it got sort of brought back closer and closer to the original vision, I have to say the sort of ultimate version that's out there is fantastic. Without the voiceover, it's a quiet film. It's creepy. It's got all the noir there. And there's anticipation. It's harder to predict. It seems more um, surreal and strange and, and at the same time plausible. So um, I'll say I'll say Blade Runner, but that particular version, as I don't think every version of the movie holds up as well as the one in which there is no Harrison Ford telling us everything as it happens. I think that's the one that's available for theatrical uh, display at our film festival, too. Excellent. Director's that. cut. That's a good choice. I figured Thank that you. one might go. My wife has not. I tried to show that movie to her three times. And she's fallen asleep all three times. Oh, I fell asleep. Yeah, what I got, I, I, it's, a little, it's a little sleep-inducing, even if it's good. Overrated. Oh. Well, it's oh, weird. Yeah. You can, Fighting oh. words. You can sit in the back of the theater and throw things at Glenn while he's... Uh, <laughs> the, the book was better. All right. You're supposed to go, pretentious. That's the correct response. <laughs> the adventure game is oh, better. Oh, you know, I think my problem with Blade Runner is that I saw it for the first time for a psychology class in college. <laughs> Void, void comp testing and you yeah. that's really the best yeah, way was, to see any movie there it's true really. it, was, it was a it was a psychology class on memory and ever since then i've just been completely uninterested in seeing the film. It, but you did remember it time to die time travelers are immune to the charms of blade runner that's it's, it's a great atmospheric film yeah. i just i find it impenetrable as a narrative groundbreaking in, in its visuals and the soundtrack is really interesting the, the vangelis soundtrack we have how many people saw it without the uh narration though without harrison oh, yeah. ford talking the only version i've actually seen is the second i guess the director's cut that doesn't the first director's cut. i don't even I know. know there's a lot the of middle cut <laughs> the one that doesn't have it does not have a voiceover yeah but it's not the final cut the entry in wikipedia is ridiculous for blade runner because it explains in unbelievable detail as only wikipedia can how many different cuts there have been but right. But still, that's a that's a perfectly legitimate selection, and nobody will boo you other than maybe Dan. Yeah, uh, I'm done. All right, excellent. We will move on to Scott, who already has slotted Star Trek II on his five film uh, film festival day. What's your second selection, Scott? Well, the only way you can follow up Star Trek II, other than Star Trek III, which was awful, <laughs> yeah, that would be another way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I will not do. Star uh, Trek two through six. We got Scott's picks. That's right. You killed my son. Sorry, Star Trek III. Yeah. Oh, Star Trek III um, is with the Coen Brothers movie. I love the Coen Brothers. Uh, I, I was also... just wondering if we were going to get a Coen Brothers movie. Well, so we this are. Is great. I have one on my list. Oddly enough, uh, you probably don't have this one, but maybe you do. Uh, I love the movie that nearly cost them their careers because it performed so poorly. Uh, The Hudsucker Proxy. Proxy. You know, for kids. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's a good movie. I adore that film. It is a a fantastic movie. It has Bruce Campbell in it, for for the people who like Bruce Campbell. Uh, It stars Tim Robbins uh, as a... an idiot, basically, who has an idea and he wants to be big in business. So he goes to uh, Hudsucker Industries 
little does he know that the 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 CEO and chairman founder of Hudsucker Industries uh, recently hurled himself out of the window uh, from uh, during a board meeting and uh, dies from the forty fourth, forty fifth, counting the mezzanine floor. Uh, and uh, it's just it's 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 uh, a screwball kind of movie that uh, is funny. It really is doesn't make much sense, but that's all right. Uh, it has a lot of great lines. It has a lot of interesting characters, uh, and apparently nobody wanted to see it in the movie theater. It's a shame. It is a shame. It also has Paul Newman in it. That's a good. That's movie. a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I will not. I will not yell at you for that. Good it job. Has hula hoops and straws. Yeah. No, it's good. That's that's in a good my pick. top fifty. All right. <laughs> You're moved to my top 7,500, okay. I would say. I actually forgot completely about the Coen brothers somehow while coming up with my list. I, I thought about them and I thought I like all their movies and I'm not sure any of their movies I like enough to put it in my top 20, but I like I would have stuck Raising Arizona up there. There is yeah, one, yeah. one Coen brothers that's in my top 10. All right. Well, um, we'll get to that perhaps. Maybe. Well, if it's not the Hot Sucker Proxy, you're wrong. <laughs> Steve Lutz, you have Alien yes. on the board. What is next? Yes. Having wasted that pick, uh, I will proceed to waste my second pick. Excellent. Um, it's Anthony from... No. <laughs> Twilight Zone. We'll never on, live that, was that. A, that was a great pick. It was. All right. Um, so Good pick. this one is, in fact, my favorite film. Um, I think comedy in general doesn't get a fair shake when it comes to people uh, coming up with all-time best lists. Um, you know, you see your American Film Institute lists and, and uh, you know, any other lists that you might come across about, you know, the greatest films of all time. You almost never see a comedy that's been made in the last half century. Um, I have three. I have three in my top ten for what it's worth. Four. Yeah. Four in my top ten. Yeah. And it seems wholly you. unfair considering that uh, it's generally accepted that comedy is much, much harder to pull off than, uh, than drama. Um, that said, picking a comedy is going to be really divisive, I suspect, since humor is so subjective. Um but uh, this is actually the funniest movie ever made, objectively. And that is, uh, that is Caddyshack. Wow. Ah. Yes. People do love the Caddyshack. Caddyshack is fantastic. It's, uh, it features four of the funniest comedians of all time, uh, all with very different styles and at the height of their powers. Um, individually, they're great, but then you get to see them interact in various groupings throughout the course of the film, and it's, it's just a sheer joy. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite, I'd probably go with uh, the... The incomparable Ted Knight, whose um, his his facial expressions throughout the film is sort of, sort of slow burn, just just absolutely slays me, and uh, you know he's fantastic in that. Um, it's eminently em, another eminently quotable film, yeah. maybe maybe too much so. <laughs> um, you can hardly avoid Caddyshack quotes if you're around people that like the film, uh, but it is a great way to identify kindred spirits. If you know, if you happen to be at a at a baseball game and a, an opposing fielder is going out for an easy pop up, and you shout out Noonan, the the six people who turn around and laugh, those are those are the guys you want to have a beer with. That's, yeah, <laughs> beer is sent to them immediately. That point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the thing that I love so much about Caddyshack. Really, most importantly, is is when I sit down and watch a movie. You know, once in a while, I want something that's kind of more thought provoking. But most of the time, you know. I, I just spent all day thinking. I just I want to have some fun, and this this film is just pure fun. I mean, there's a there is an overarching plot line, but it it really barely intrudes into the film. And then there's there's just something I think really very soothing about the country club as a setting. It's it's kind of like being at Disneyland. You know, the the real world can't intrude here. 
And, uh, you know, it's just, it just has this real nice vibe to it. And then the cast, of course, looks like they're having a ball. Uh, I have read the book of Caddyshack, which suggests that, in fact, they were maybe having a bit too much of a ball. <laughs> but, uh, but it is a, a very definitely, I think, one of the funniest movies of all time. And it is my favorite film. And, and like so many great films, uh, you know, it's, it's something that can be appreciated by kids of all ages. You know, you've, uh, for the youngins, you've got the, uh, the dancing gopher. And, uh, you know, uh, kids maybe a little bit older um, enjoy the uh, the classic, one of the all-time greatest poop jokes, the baby Ruth in the pool scene. And then, uh, you know, teenagers and, and stunted adults like me um, get to see Cindy Morgan's boobs. So thumbs up to Caddyshack. Thumbs up. That's right. I've never actually seen Caddyshack. <gasps> ah, well, what you're going to have to go to Steve's day of the film festival then. We will move on to John Syracuse. John, what's your next pick? You have the Empire Strikes Back already in your back pocket. So you're you're living large. You could do anything now. I'm thinking that most of my picks are safe. And so far, I've predicted correctly that ah. uh, no, no one else is picking my stuff. And not because they're obscure, but because you're all giant nerds. I, John, uh, so, I suspect that you and I have some picks in common on our we lists. We shall see. That so my second pick. You're going to snipe me. But go ahead. Is Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 masterpiece, The Godfather. Yeah, that was on mm, my list. I'm good. just saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, is that that's not a surprising pick no. for a great film list? I don't think. Uh, so, this is kind of the genre-defining uh, gangster movie, and a lot of times when you have a genre-defining movie, as perhaps Dan can attest, uh, it's looked upon with great reverence because it influenced all the movies that came after it, or to, in technology problems we want to talk about. Uh, you know how all of a sudden all the laptops shove the keyboard up towards the screen and put a, a touchpad in front of them. Uh, all of a sudden, all the phones were just a big giant screen, right? And after Blade Runner, all the sci-fi movies were dark and gritty and stuff like that. But uh, in the case of uh, the non-Apple examples, <laughs> they will they will say that you know, all right, so and not Ridley that, Scott examples, yeah, right. that define no, they say like you know, Blade Runner defined the genre, but it wasn't that great of a movie, and you know, so it's looked upon with reverence because it it, it changed the way <laughs> things were done. Yeah, you know, and so it gets it gets an extra boost for being like the first one and like the one that everyone else walks in its footsteps. But in the case of The Godfather, I'll argue that not only was it the first genre defining big Hollywood gangster movie, it remains the best, uh, which is very strange. Usually the first one has some problems and it kind of gives a theme and then people sort of riff on that and, and get better. But if you go back and watch The Godfather, first, it is a, a movie of its time. It looks like a movie shot in the 70s. I you know I can close my eyes and see the film grain. Uh, that's true of a lot of movies in the seventies. If you think of Taxi Driver or you know uh, any any of those movies in that that era, they look like seventies movies. And uh, this also looks like a seventies movie, but it's not. You know, it's set in a, in, a, in an earlier era. Uh, but it's surprisingly modern in its sensibilities. Uh, you know what I mean? And the the structure of the movie. It's got it's got good bones. It's kind of like when they say a house has good bones. This is a solid movie under there, but laid on top of it is this sort of deliberate 70s movie pacing. Like, this is a long movie. Uh, I had to look up how long it was. I'm like, boy, this must be over two hours. I think it's close to three hours. It's an extremely long movie. It's the type of movie where you can imagine they put up a big title card that says intermission and everyone gets up to stretch their legs for a little bit. It is, you know, it defines an epic movie. Uh but the arc of the movie is just just solid underneath there. And they say, we've got a story to tell. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end, and we're going to tell it. And they just let it unfold. And you're just wrapped the entire time. It has some of the great individual scenes of, of any movie ever. Great actors. The script is tight. Uh, 
the the parts in there that are special effects, mostly just blood and violence, stuff like that, don't look hokey even after all these years with the CG and everything. Maybe one or two punches that James Conn fails to land on the street <laughs> when beating up his uh, his sister's uh, husband. That's about the worst thing you could say about this movie, that uh, maybe they would have, you know, reshot that or fixed it to make it look like they actually hit him. But other than that, uh, you know, it, it's beyond reproach. And in fact, I would say all of the gangster movies that have come after it, after it with two possible exceptions, which you may hear about later, uh, have failed to live up to the standards set by The Godfather, failed in many, many ways. They, they, they didn't recognize what was important about The Godfather. You see lots of movies like it's kind of like the the chestburster scene in Alien. That's that's you know the the thing that we remember in pop culture. Well, you remember the horse's head in the bed from The Godfather. That's not what this movie was about. And like, if that's what you came away with, like, oh, did you see that horse's head in the bed? Did you see that thing burst out of his chest? I would say the chestburster is more important to Alien than the horse head was to The Godfather. That's not what oh, yeah. The Godfather is about. No, I think uh, about so, I think about Michael getting the the gun out of the toilet and then dropping the gun and walking away i mean that's that's the scene that i always think of when i think of the godfather with the broken jaw and he's just sitting there and the train noise in the background getting louder yeah i could i could do a very long podcast about the godfather and i may do that someday that would be good and yet and yet when when you did a podcast about a gangster movie it wasn't the godfather which i find perhaps you will be seeing that movie again perhaps on someone's list perhaps it's it's quite it's i know for a fact it's on someone's list so we'll see Mm -hmm. All right, that's a great pick. That is a classic. That is one of the all-time greats, The Godfather. I will point out The Godfather Part 2 is still available, if somebody else would like that. Also, Part 3 is available. <laughs> uh, uh, Scott, yeah, right. if you're interested in it. Very funny. All right, Dan Morin, you, you, you picked Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's next? I did. Um, so my, my second pick was actually mentioned already by one of our listeners. Um, I'm going to pick... The classic uh, George Roy Hill 1969 film, Butch Cassidy oh, and the nice. Sundance Kid. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Excellent movie. Um, that's just, uh, we were speaking Rain of quotable movies and how much I like quotable movies. I mean, this this movie opens with quotable lines. Uh, you know, Butch Cassidy saying, what happened to the old bank? It was beautiful. And the guy says, people kept robbing it. <laughs> he says, small price to pay for beauty. Um, the whole thing, just from start to finish, it's kind of a lovely meandering little tale. And I was just looking at the, uh, the, the synopsis on IMDb, which I think is a hilarious synopsis because it says it's like two lines and it says that, uh, two Western bank slash train robbers flee to Bolivia when the law gets too close. I'm like, I don't know if that's really encapsulates the entire movie for me. I guess it's kind of the plot, but it takes a long time to get there. Um, of some of my favorite scenes in this movie, I think one of the tops is uh, uh, Butch and Sundance having been followed over vast swaths of the open desert by these mysterious guys. Who are these guys? Um, find themselves in, in, in an attempt to lose them, find themselves on top of a cliff above a river. And they're arguing, you know, about who should jump first. And finally, Sundance confesses, I can't swim. And Butch just looks at him and goes, the fall will kill you. <laughs> I don't know. I love this movie. Great movie. Unabashedly. It's a fantastic movie. Um, and it's full of, uh, you know, Butch Cat, both Paul Newman and Redford, Robert Redford are f- perfect in the roles. Their chemistry is unparalleled. Uh, there's another great scene where uh, they're, they're robbing a, a train car. And uh, there's a, one of the best moments of comic timing ever where Paul Newman just about finishes saying, well, that ought to do and almost doesn't get the last word out of his mouth before the entire train car just explodes um just sort of you know dowsing them all in in splinters of wood and money falling everywhere 
Robert Redford just sort of looks at him and goes, you think you use enough dynamite there, Butch? <laughs> um, so it's just, I don't know. It's as a series of vignettes. It's great from one to the, you know, the beginning to the end and the end, especially which has this sort of futility about it because, you know, if you're any student of history, you, you kind of know how it, it ends, which is to say not well, but it's still in some ways kind of upbeat. And I love the, the last sort of brief scene there, which is just a still photo of them running out to face everybody. Um, the, the, the Bolivian army, the entire which has Bolivian surrounding army, yes. the entire, Bo- <laughs> maybe there's just a few of them out there. Um, it's just, it's, it's a great fitting end to this movie. And, and I want to add one little other scene, which is a quiet scene, which I love is like, it's like, it's like a third to a halfway through the movie when they're just sort of sitting on a porch talking and you realize that these two guys have been hanging out together for years and they don't know each other's real names. Hmm. Um, and so they sort of, Oh yeah, I'm, you know, my name's Parker. And it's just, it's a great, it's a great little moment when you realize these guys are like, like brothers essentially. Um, and how much do they really know about each other? But wonderful movie, great score, um, great cinematography, and a great script by uh, William Goldman, who's already been thrown up there once tonight yep. for The Princess Bride. Yep. Tell me a little about yourself, Dan. <laughs> uh, great pick. Like I and said. you got the Burt Bacharach soundtrack, too. Indeed. Yeah. Who could ask and for And a bicycle. More? What a great bicycle. So... Ms. Caldwell, you're next. You've had you've got the Rocketeer. What's next? Okay. Well, uh, it was tough to choose which was next, but I think I will go with this one. Uh, my second pick, which is actually number six on my list, uh, is a silent film from 1927, and has been unfor- in the past has been butchered several different ways, and. They've added Queen soundtracks to it. They've done all kinds of horrible things to it. But as of 2010, it is mostly recomplete and beautiful again. And that is Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Oh, my goodness. Gott verdammt. (laughs) It's another German film. Good grief. It is another German film. Um, In all seriousness, I I have little patience for silent films in that uh, my... My friend Elizabeth, when I was in college, was studying silent films. And while I love Buster Keaton and, you know, Max Linder, and that was fun to watch. In general, she'd bring home these silent films and they were just, you know, I'd watch 10 minutes and just and want to go to sleep. Because like Dan, I like quotable, quotable dialogue. I like fun, fast paced things. Um, but Metropolis is a, you know, as originally shown, was a 153 minute film and the recovered footage in total, puts it at about 145-minute running time. So it is not a short, silent film. And you'd think that it would, you know, get bogged down or something like that, but it really doesn't. It is a it is a story of about the future and about revolution and about robots. Uh, so it has it has a really nice sort of sci-fi bend to it. Uh, it's it's been accused of being a pseudo propaganda film, and it's very much you know worker power and down with the man. Uh, but it's the way that it approaches it is uh, kind of kind of the way that uh, a really really good film approaches religion, in that it's it puts it up on a sort of art 
pedestal and and takes takes a step back. So instead of saying, you know, oh, these are the citizens of Germany or these are the citizens of Russia, it's, you know, these are the citizens of this post-futuristic metropolis uh, where all of the workers live in high, you know, fanciful skyscrapers or all of the, the managers live in high fanciful skyscrapers and all of the workers toil down below. Uh, and there are these, the sets in this film are just incredible. I mean, when you consider about how much money they spent, something like five million Reichmarks, which I think equals like out bucks. to, yeah, <laughs> in today's <laughs> money, it's something like a hundred, a couple hundred million dollars. So they spent on par with some of the big, big blockbusters, like the superhero blockbusters of the past couple of years. And they have these big, beautifully hand painted sets. Uh, they have this the one of the ro- this robot that stars very prominently in the plot uh and the special effects that go along with the robot and and what she what she basically uh accomplishes and does to the workers and humans around her uh the special effects for this film despite being in 1927 are absolutely astonishing you watch it now and it's you know yes it's not it's not as fanciful as some of the CGI but i'd argue that it's just as impressive uh, and there's there's some there's some great scenes. Um, there's again all of this. This is a very cinematic movie. Obviously, since it since it is silent, they really have to rely on imagery, and they do so very very powerfully. Uh, there's a the the person we follow during this during this story is uh, the son of the head of Metropolis, Freder who decides that he's going to become after falling in love with a girl. Of course, he's going to become noble. And, and go and help the workers, the plight of the workers. And so in order to really understand their position and get into their shoes, he offers to trade places with one of the workers for a day. So he goes and he basically spends a 12-hour day operating this giant machine that keeps the city running. And you just get this picture of him going up and operating these what look like giant clock arms where he's just turning them, like taking his whole entire body and turning these clock arms to different positions in order to keep the machine up and running. And it's, it's such a stark, amazing, like the imagery is just, is just fantastic. It's a so, great yes. pick. <laughs> That's a great pick. I've always loved that movie too. That's the film that, uh, Hitler and Goebbels. I mean, I'm not trying to. It's it's a film that's interpreted in in many ways by many different kinds of people. Hitler and Goebbels liked that film somehow, and there's a story that Fritz Lang was called into Goebbels' office and wondered what was going on. And Goebbels said, "We love when he came into power." And Goebbels said, "We loved your film Metropolis. It was the thing that inspired us. We want you to take over filmmaking." And Fritz Lang said, "I'll have to think about it very hard." He walked out of the office, got on a train, and left the country and never came back. Yep. And his his wife was a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> yeah, they apparently they didn't agree very it's much. Crap. After that. Yeah. Get us Lenny Riefenstahl instead. <laughs> exactly. And the rest is history. Yeah. No, I, I think it's funny. This this film, I um, I watched the first cut of this film. Uh, the one I saw was I think about a hundred and ten minutes back before they had found they found missing footage. Uh, right. In a basically a can in a canister in someone's private library in 2009, and then they decided that okay, in a year we are going to restore this 16 millimeter footage uh, because the the whole reason why the film is kind of broken up and dead in the first place is that right after it was originally shown in Brit or in uh, Germany when they tried to ship it out to external countries and like here let's you know we want we want to show off this film. The distributors overseas and movie houses basically said, no one's going to sit and watch a 150-minute silent film. 
we're going to cut this thing down to 90 minutes. Also, we're going to show it in faster frames per second because no <laughs> one wants to sit there for that and long. And a crazy soundtrack. Yeah. And and yeah, and let's add yeah. let's add all kinds of different versions of live music. And it just it got distorted so that most of the copies that we had of the of the film in present day are these awful 90-minute ones that were completely recut. So you couldn't even really get a sense of the story. It's just like, okay, there this is a film this is cool images. Uh but it went to the point where when I found out uh, through a friend that they had found this footage and they were basically working hardcore to have it restored for a premiere in Germany, uh, Art, which is a, uh, a over uh, European art channel, was broadcasting it live. So I actually, in February in 2010, I actually like hacked into the feed so that I could watch the live broadcast of this thing on like a 500 foot screen. Did you and zoom in and enhance while you hacked into yeah. the feed? <laughs> you no, the password one character at a time. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think I think it's a great I think it's a great pick. And I, who knew that we were going to have a silent film and a and a, another German film in the first two rounds? But we did. I promise that's my last German film. <laughs> I am up next, and I. Um, I, th- it's tough because I've got a lot of different picks here. I could go with some obvious picks. I'm going to go with another comedy, and I cannot believe this, but yes, Steve, I am so influenced by Meathead yes. that I'm going to pick another Rob Reiner movie. Really? <gasps> and it this could is, go two ways It here. is one of the funniest films ever made. The rockumentary mockumentary. This mm. is Spinal uh, Tap. Yes. Okay. Um, originally, I believe there is a three, speaking of Metropolis, there, I think there's like a three and a half hour cut of this movie too, that was, that was made. And then they realized that nobody would watch it. And I think the final one is about 90 minutes. Although depending on which DVD you bought, and I bought this, I bought this in the Criterion DVD. I bought this on the CD-ROM that they, that they put out with a movie on CD-ROM. That was a brief thing. Uh, I, I have the MGM dvd of it i don't have the blu-ray yet because it was shot on 16 millimeter and i'm not quite sure what the point of the blu-ray is because you know there's not that much resolution in 16 millimeter print but i inevitably will buy it in in blu-ray too um hilarious movie the chronicles the lives of this um this terrible heavy metal band that is past its sell-by date and is still kind of soldiering on as their crowds the crowds that come to see them gets get smaller and smaller and they're not very bright and they're kind of breaking up and there's a girlfriend who's sort of pushing the the guys who are in the band apart and the drummers keep dying and have to be replaced with other drummers and it is uh again it's quotable and there's some famous lines obviously like it, it, this goes to 11 but there there are so many funny lines in this not just from Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon and Harry Shearer but Paul Schaefer is in this movie um who else is in this uh bruno kirby is in this movie and has got some great scenes as a limo driver billy crystal is in it with dana carvey for one scene as mimes who are also caterers um just <laughs> paul schaefer yes paul schaefer uh paul schaefer is is uh Artie Fufkin, the uh yeah, yeah. howard hessman is a, is a dj um uh the, just some great it's just a classic movie. It, 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 people, some people apparently believe that it was actually real, which is impossible to think as you watch it that it could be considered something real because it's ridiculous. And oh, and I should say, Rob Reiner is in it as the, as Marty DeBerge, the um, semi incompetent documentary filmmaker who makes the movie. This is Spinal Tap. So he's both the real director and the fake director of this movie. A classic. 
Um, if you can find the Criterion DVD, there's actually a commentary track by the actors and the director talking about the movie. That's out of print now. The MGM DVD, which is out there, is an in-character commentary. So they're actually both pretty good. And the Criterion DVD comes with about, I got to say, 40 minutes of cut footage from the actual movie that includes wow. some scenes that are funnier than anything that's in the movie, believe it or not. There's an oh. extended scene with Bruno Kirby where Bruno Kirby, the, the band gets Bruno Kirby high. And then there's a, a quick cut and Bruno Kirby's wearing his underwear and dancing and singing Frank Sinatra songs. That is, it, I would argue, funnier than anything actually in the movie. But there were lots of reasons why they cut it out. Um, so this is Spinal Tap. Um, you know, it, it led... Is that it, the first mockumentary, it, I think it is essentially the first mockumentary and led to Christopher Guest, who who is Nigel, one, right. one of the band members in this um he ended up making a bunch of mockumentaries like best in show down the line but this was sort of the root of that so you know this is spinal tap i i i yeah i would consider this one of the two or three funniest movies ever made and uh, i love it dearly and if you haven't seen it what is wrong with you you should see it it's a great crazy uh movie so this is spinal tap there you go i got meathead twice I'm going to invite Rob Reiner to my day at our film festival. He'll just come and sit there. In the I auditioned corner. for Stand By Me, but... That's not going to... Well, who knows? It's not, ca- you know, I'm not going to make it a Rob Reiner day. My I'm mom done, met him. I'm my done mom, with my Rob Reiner picks. I know, my late I, mother met him, but that wow. doesn't help, does it? No. No, but okay. I'm not surprised that people related to you met famous people, Glenn. All right. So this is Final Tap. That's my pick. I promise not to pick any more movies by Meathead. So many great movies like Lawrence of Arabia have an intermission and we are going to have an intermission now because otherwise this podcast will get even more out of hand than it already is. So we're going to split the podcast here. Uh, Can everybody come back to do the other part of the podcast that we already recorded? I can't make it. I got a family obligation. All right. right, Well, all right. I guess possible. Well, I'll send my robot double. Stick around. uh, And uh, next time we'll, we'll find out who returns to complete the incomparable movie draft until then uh let's go out to the snack bar (laughs) do they have bacon that's right please no bacon please sodas are available Mm. at the concession stand Mm. bacon let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat